Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of In the March of the Minisodes. It's Adam Shebelewski here with, again, the one and only Matthew Pagel. How are we doing today, buddy? You know what? I'm feeling really good today because it's definitely an entirely different day than from when we oh, filmed yeah. our first one. This is a totally different day. Um, if you, you know, if you guys are listening to this, don't worry. This is it happened on a different day. I swear. Doing great today. Yeah, I got it. I got a beard and everything. It looks really good and stuff. And no, it doesn't. It hasn't, but, uh, it hasn't been that long. Come on now. Yeah, that's right. We haven't. We've we've talked in the last year. That's for sure. spoken in the last year. That's for sure. But yes, everybody, we are now on episode two of In the March of the Minisodes, and this is called Disintegration. And what Matt and I are going to be doing, we are going to be rolling through a scene from the HBO hit show Peacemaker, and we are going to be um, reading off the dialogue. We're to take a look at some of the different angles i got some questions in here i'm really excited to do this i had a fun time putting it together and i gotta tell you this is one of my just favorite fucking scenes in the entire show like my god i did not expect this and this was like just hats off to you james gunn for real this is hands down one of the best under three minutes i think i've ever seen you do uh, i will i will say that my favorite scene is the opening scene is the opening credits um, oh, it is it is literally one of three shows that I let the credits run. I gotcha. Every, yeah, literally yeah, yeah. every single episode, I have let the credits run on Peacemaker. Oh, dude, it's a Wigwam's Invisible Bone. Is that what it is? Uh, yes, yes. Oh yeah, somebody made a. They didn't do the whole thing. They put a little bit of the song with some claymation behind it. James Gunn uh, retweeted it, I think. Mm-hmm. I got to say, I loved it. I love that, too. I love everybody dancing and everything. I love how eagerly comes in at the end. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it's pretty hysterical. It, I mean, it literally – and I, I know he's he said this, but even if you didn't know that he said – like, even if you just, like, stumbled on the show or you didn't know a ton about it, um, it, it's almost like it's daring you to skip. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, yeah. go ahead, press that or see what happens <laughs> next. Right, exactly. That is totally true, dude. And it has that just got great. That that is, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of like opening credit stuff. Like God knows, you and I have devoted a lot of conversation time to the Game of Thrones opening credits because mm-hmm. that deserves all the minutes of discussion and then some. Yeah. Even years after the show has been off, but this is one that um that I do enjoy the hell out of, and I don't enjoy opening um credit sequences all that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Awesome, dude. So before, okay, so the episode that we're going to be, um, is called The Chode Less Traveled. It's the prison scene. And before we get into the scene itself, let's provide some context regarding the events leading up to the scene. Okay, so I'm going to start off with this one question that's broken down into two sub-questions. And the question is, what do we know about the character Adrian Chase slash Vigilante prior to the scene? And um, the sub-questions in this that we're going to use are, what is the character's relationship to Peacemaker and the rest of the cast at this point in time in the show? And then we'll talk about why Adrian is in jail. Gotcha. Do you want to, how about you kick kick us off here? I will gladly kick us, kick us off here. So we are on episode four. So in the, um, Vigilante makes his introduction in episode two. Uh, he is in episode three for a little bit where we see him with the mask off for the first time. And this is his third and by far and away the most camera time, I believe, that he's had on the show um, since his introduction. Yep. This character is like a um, – it's basically like Peacemaker sidekick, I guess, <laughs> to say the least. More um, or less. Whether Peacemaker – yeah, whether Peacemaker in, at this point in time in the show chooses to admit that they're really good friends and that it's a sidekick, he, that Adrian Chase totally is. Um, 
like a younger guy. Um, I'm having trouble remembering exactly what his origin story is or why I'll, he is doing what he's doing. I'll, I'll fill you. I'll fill you in here on the on the who or the origin, if you will, because this is how this is literally how he's introduced, and it's completely spot on. He's your whoever your best friend was in, especially like middle school, but probably even into high school. Whoever your best friend was. It is your best friend's significantly younger little brother, like two, three years younger. Not significantly. Young enough that there's a little bit of a divide. He's that friend's little brother who is kind of forced to hang out with you by, like, his, you know, that that person, you know, their parents or whatever. He's got to go everywhere. And he is far too eager to hang out, and no one else, Mm -hmm. and everyone else is just tolerating him. And that's (laughs) quite literally who he is. He is Peacemaker. He's Chris's, Chris's friend from high school's little brother. That's, and he, that and is he right. plays yeah. the note. He plays that note perfectly. Perfectly. Absolutely fucking perfectly, dude. This is um, a great casting choice, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But um, for the most part, yes, it's Peacemaker sidekick, um, friend from high school's little brother that um, I actually, now that you described that personality type, I, there's a couple of things that immediately kind of come come into my mind from high school and everything. And so um, we'll talk about why Adrian is in jail really quick. And so he is had just had a conversation in the show, um, like basically prior to the prison, um, prior to him going to jail, where we find out that Peacemaker's father is in jail. And there's really... You know, there is some dialogue there, but for the most part, like the call to action is actually pretty simple where I, um, I can't remember the, how to pronounce the character's name, but, um, out of bio. Thank you. Um, tells him just like, yeah, you know, it'd be much better if he was dead and it's something very simple like that. Well, and, and it's not even like it's, she's almost winking at the camera as she says, and she says, boy, it would be much easier if he was out of the way. This investigation would be going on so much easier without Peacemaker's dad. Wink, wink. Yeah, um, right. And, and the way it, it, actually takes, it actually takes Vigilante Adrian, um, like, a beat to, like, get it. And then he gets it. Right. Yeah. And then the minute that he gets it, in, like, one motion, he stands up. He goes to the back recreational lunch area of the prison and where all the the cops are hanging out, eating, having a good time. He picks up or at least tries to pick up a a metal steel garbage can and throw it through the window. I don't think he gets it all the way through the window, but he at least damages enough to get himself in jail. The cops swarm him. Now he's in the slammer and everything on this mission to kill Augie, who is played by Robert Patrick, absolutely fantastic. The T one thousand. I will follow that guy. Uh, I will follow that guy with, into the ocean. He's with amazing. with very few um, with very few exceptions. Um, the, with very few exceptions, I think like particularly he was on a show called Scorpion where he was a good guy. Robert Patrick mm-hmm. has been playing a villain for almost thirty years. Yep, he has been, and like I will tell you, if I had half of the career he had, I would I would die a happy man. That yep. is for sure. And uh, his brother is the guitar player from Filter too, Correct. which is also yep. really fucking cool. And they're Ohio guys all the way. So big up Robert, to OHIO Robert Patrick. Right here. Robert Patrick played football and ran track at Bowling Green. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. No shit, dude. Mm-hmm. That is really cool. Hopefully he is in the uh, Bowling Green Hall of Fame, whether for acting or whatever. Uh, he's so, not at so, all. Because, um, I mean, he was... He's not. Uh, he was, like, 
he was just like a dude on both teams. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make it, take a wild guess that it was a lot easier to be a, a white guy on a track team in the 1970s. Uh, yeah, you got that right. That is for sure. <laughs> All right. So yes, Adrian on, is on his mission. He's accepted his call to action. So um, before we go any farther, just really quick, what are your overall thoughts on the casting of Freddie Stroma as Vigilante? I, I, I really, really like Freddie Stroma. Um, I, I, it's hard. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I can't compare because there was a Vigilante on Arrow. And right. uh, whoever that was, was in this show before they recast uh, Freddie Stroma to take over the part. So I've, I've never seen Arrow before, so I have no like opinion on it. But in terms of like what the in terms of like what they're going for in the show and knowing how I've said this before in the show, I think it just recently that I've, I have been a James Gunn fan since before he was James Gunn, director of mm-hmm. Marvel and DC stuff. Um, I've been a James Gunn fan for a long time. And knowing the kind of characters that James Gunn likes to use in his movies, this is this is such a perfect sort of harmony piece to the ensembles mm-hmm. that James Gunn creates. Oh God, yes, he is—he's absolutely fantastic. You're right, an awesome harmony addition to the cast. He's definitely peacemakers, like um, you know, kind of tell it like it is guy, as we see in a, a scene from um between them in a car, which uh, takes place, I think, at the beginning of this episode. Um, I really love his voice. And the voice that they said, hey, do this voice, because he's English, if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um, So if let's just say, for example, that when he was doing the casting and he gave them like eight different voices that he was like, hey, this is what the character can sound like. They picked the best fucking voice possible. And on top of that, when you pair this voice with the imagery of the suits, which in a way, I like. I don't want to sound like weird here, but like the suit's kind of cute. It's this, this little kind of cute I, suit with the, the red eye and everything. Yeah, it looks. It looks his. So like, Peacemaker is wearing this like you know he's got like the high tech helmets. He's got you know the, you know he's got the, the the tight shirt to show off uh, you know Cena's muscles. Um, you, you know even though it's like red, white, and blue, it's still like tactical looking. Um, right. Whereas the vigilante looks like a Halloween costume. I mean, yeah, a nice one, but a Halloween costume. Yeah, definitely, dude. And there's something about like not only the the like the way that the suit looks paired with his voice, but then when he gets like you know evil, like how he's just so willing. I mean, I know that he was shooting at aliens, but the whole conflict of peacemaker and children and stuff, he was just so willing to do it. Like mm-hmm. there's something about all of these things working together that I feel creates a really great entertaining supporting character. I'm there are times where like, I, I say to myself like, God, he's so great. Like, why doesn't he have his own show? And then I realized to myself that I, I don't think it would actually work because he is just too perfect in this world that, that we've seen through peacemaker mm-hmm, exactly awesome dude so it's time for some disintegration and before we get into the scene i really wanted to get into this shot of adrian walking down the hallway with the other prisoners the song playing in the background is jawbreaker by the cruel intentions how do you or how does jody hill the director jody hill fucking man use imagery to contrast adrian against the other prisoners in the shot well i i so I, I don't think it's as I don't think visually it's that stark, um, but that's more of a critique on what modern film and TV look like. 
um, mm-hmm. because everything now lacks color compared to um, <laughs> movies of the past. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even joking. Movies in the past look like they're fucking turned up to 10. Um, on, on, like their color scales just like off the charts comparatively. But um, yeah. uh, we, that's, a, that's a whole other episode for that. But mm-hmm. he, the way that he looks a little bit cleaner... He obviously like you know looks cleaner. He's much younger looking than most of the men that he's kind of that he's kind of walking past. Um, he just looks like someone. He looks like someone who doesn't belong there. And I yes. think that I think that's actually important because obviously he doesn't belong there. But also it's kind of a if you want to get into sort of like the um, you know how we're visualizing certain aspects of the character and telling telling a visual story. At that point in time, he still doesn't even belong with the team either. Right. That's right. Exactly right. So, so in and so it doesn't really matter in both situations. He still doesn't belong in either group that he's trying to blend into. Yeah, dude, you hit that right on the fucking head. And like, I'm pretty confident that not only is he the only person who's wearing glasses in that shot, but he's also mm-hmm. the only guy with the double bar glasses. Mm-hmm. And like that little detail right there. I think it just speaks a lot about um, the type of guy that's like coming in here and everything like that. It's really like this kind of nerdy dude and stuff. Like he doesn't belong. He's, you know, like um, like exactly what you said. Like the the friend's little brother figure and everything like that. And so, um, what do you think that this shot says about Adrian's overall personality? Uh, well, I kind of just said it. He's oh, okay. Someone that doesn't really someone that doesn't belong. Um, really. At this point, in t- at least at this point in time in the show, he's someone that doesn't belong anywhere. Yes, definitely. Okay, just wanted to get that. So, I um, question out there. So, I also have to add on to that that um, there is just something like it's like playfully menacing about the expression on his face, and like the playfulness doesn't necessarily come from this like it doesn't necessarily come from like a smile. It just kind of comes from Freddie Stroma's just demeanor and everything. Like when I, when I kind of look at everything that's going on, this dude looks like somebody who's like, I don't know. It's like, he's almost like in control for being somebody that is really like the outcast here in both jail and his friends. Like there's a certain confidence about him Mm -hmm. that like, I know I wouldn't have if I was in, either situation like trying to be accepted into a group or just in jail he's got this kind of confidence and swagger that um goes so noticed on camera yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely okay awesome dude awesome so we um when he enters into the um the big like kind of multi-purpose rec room type thing there is a uh, tracking shot of um of the camera and everything we are at a table with Augie, who is Robert Patrick, that's Peacemaker's father. Then, um, so IMDb labeled these characters dickhead and dickhead. One is played by Paul Lazenby. The other one is played by Daryl Sheilar. And um, I just put them as guy one and two in, in the transcript. And then this guy named Cool Steve is the other more of the speaking role character out of mm-hmm. the white supremacist. He is played by Neil Webb. So we um, this whole visual um, little part that we've just discussed is not actually a part of the scene that we are going to break down. It's just kind of the introduction of Adrian actually in jail. We cut away from that for a while. We go back to the rest of the team. And then once we finish up with them, we are back inside the present rec room and um, where we where we resume with Adrian and the rest of the white supremacists. 
Okay, everybody. So this is the point in time in the episode where we're actually going to read the scene. I am going to take the uh, stage directions and I'm going to be reading basically all the other characters except for Adrian. Matt is going to take the uh, the Adrian part. And like with me, you know, being a white guy from Ohio, it probably makes sense that I uh, take care of the Augie and some of the other roles and stuff like that, <laughs> even though I completely hate white supremacists. But we're just trying for, to make just for the record, as in case believable you had, as possible. In case, in yeah. case you had some other ideas about what we do on this show, Chamba and I are anti-white supremacist. <laughs> Big time. But I noticed that since I've moved to L.A. and I tell people from Ohio, like I almost have to follow it up with something like that. Like, hey, I'm from Ohio. But by the way, I don't like anything that's going on over there. You gotta, well, here's the thing. You got to you got to get that. Um, you got to stop wearing that uh, Confederate flag shirt everywhere. That's that's what. Yeah, I, it's one of my best fitting shirts, though. That's the problem. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> look, I understand. I know, man. I'm telling you, I have like a hundred fucking t-shirts and the one with the Confederate flag is the one that fits the best. If you ever want to talk about uh, life handing you uh, some irony or whatever <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got that right. So, all right. So I'm going to start off here. Interior prison rec room day. And um, a shot of Augie, Cool Steve and two other guys. Hold, hold on, hold on. You got to give us a, you got to give us oh. an action and everything, man. Come on. We're doing a scene here. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <clears throat> all right. So, Peacemaker prison scene from episode four, the chode less traveled occasionalist podcast, Martin Minnesota's episode two, take number one action. <laughs> Interior prison rec room day, a shot of Augie, cool Steve and two other guys cards in their hands, cigarettes on the table. And she says, yeah, sure. I'll teach you how to fight. Hey kid, look over here. Kid looks over here. He whacks him on the back of the head and says, that's the first fucking rule. You keep your eyes on your goddamn opponent. Everybody laughs. Hey, what's up, fellas? Look, you totes seem like the coolest guys in this place. So I was thinking, we should get to know each other. What? Let's pick a topic, and then everyone goes around the circle and says they're feeling on that topic. Let's start with, uh, I don't know. Let's each say something that we're grateful for that black people have contributed to American culture. Is this dude joking right now? No, hey, look, I'll go first. I'm grateful that black people gave us rock and roll music. Leonard Skinner, ZZ Top, 38 Special, all those guys owe everything to black American folk and blues musicians. I mean, they wouldn't exist without them. And then white redneck music would just sound like, well, what it sounded like before black people, which was the wet, sloppy sounds of fucking your sister. Okay, so that's my turn. Which one of you dumb, sister-fucking, tiki-torch-carrying, sloth-from-the-goonies-looking piece of shits wants to go next? Who the fuck are you? You first? Cool. Okay, wait. No, let me guess. Your favorite contribution to black American culture was all the black guys who fucked your mom in the ass while you watched Jacking Off in the Closet. Cool Steve comes at him. Adrian throws some fighting moves. Roundhouse kicks. Head slammed to the table. Then... The guy drops to the ground. The inmate yells, come on, get on up. Adrian hobbles around. We go back to Augie. You never answered. Who are you? I'm just the guy who's going to fuck you so hard your asshole's going to be dragging behind you like a tail. Oh, no, you're not going to goad me into attacking you. We both know there's cameras all over the place. And now these morons look like the aggressors. In come the guards. Get on the ground now, both of you. Adrian and Augie both get on the ground. Another inmate shows up. Yo, the Aryan started it. This guy did nothing. You're a bad dad. 
Augie realizes what's going on. I need to talk to Detective Song now. The guards cut him off. Fuck, I need to talk to Detective Song. I got information that's important to the case. My son's trying to kill me. Give me Detective Song. Come on. And the guard hauls Adrian away. And scene. I got to tell you, the funniest part of this entire thing for me was the lines Leonard Skinner, ZZ Top, and 38 Special. If you want to talk about wordplay, that is just the fucking perfect version of like humor wordplay right there for me, which I which I absolutely love. And what's weird is like I there are millions of bands from the South that he could have named as that third band. And like Leonard Skinner and ZZ Top, I thought were pretty much the given. And you know, in the whole like rule of threes, the third one is usually the funnier of the three. Yeah. There is just something about that choice of 38 special that just fucking sent me into a whole new level of laughter. Like it made me even wonder like if he would have, put a more ridiculous sounding Southern rock band's name there, like Brownsville station or something like if I would have found it as funny and like, I don't even think I, I I would say that I don't think that I would have found it as funny. So it was just three perfect bands placed in the perfect dialogue block at the perfect time with perfect execution by the actor. I I wonder if, because you're right, like, you know, you're right. Leonard Skinner is easy top. I mean, when you think of Southern rock, that's mm-hmm. Southern rock to probably 90% of people. I I kind of wonder if if it's because 38 Special is nice and short. You know, it's kind of a clean yeah. way to finish off that sort of, you know, that, that insult, that particular slang, that particular little stone that he slings right there. I wonder if it's nice mm-hmm. and short that it works because, like, I would have gone even more Southern. I would have gone, like, uh, Georgia Satellites. Or, um, yeah. oh gosh, who else would have gone? But like, it just feels like it's it's the perfect length in that sentence without getting distracting, if that makes sense. Exactly. And it, it started to make me wonder, like, on top of the, like, the, the syllabic length of the, of the, of the words, like, it makes me wonder if like somewhere out there, like in movies or in TV, somebody calls a Southerner like 38 special or something like that. It makes me wonder like if it came from somewhere, if they had to try other, if they tried other bands and it didn't sound right, if like this was just something that he chose right off the bat and it worked, like there's so much that I could ask about those three particular choices in bands that like James Gunn would kick me out of a room after like minute number 15. I wouldn't even get that far. I mean, let's be honest, he didn't get into no rooms with me, but um, like I would just, there's so much that I could ask him about that. I, I just thought that that was genius wordplay. I, I wonder, and I also wonder if possibly there were, uh, I guess, you know what, none of their music was used, so I guess it wouldn't have been a use thing. But I guess you never know how that necessarily works when it comes to yeah. the when it comes to the corporate stuff. You never know. That's true. Yeah, that's very true, dude. But like, all in all, I perfect placement of everything. Fucking loved it. That's what I, I was just laughing my ass off when I heard that. Well, for sure. So now that we've gone through everything, I just have a couple of follow-up questions that we can discuss. And um, the first one, I just want to ask you, because I made, kept track of it, how many cuts did you count? I let you also keep track of it. So 35. Okay. <laughs> I was, yes, 35. I watched it like okay. through twice, and I was just like, wait a second, I, I've lost count, and I was at like 10. So um, okay. if you said 35, I believe you. 
Okay. Yeah. I went through it a couple of times. I um, just wanted to make sure in case you had missed something that I didn't. 35 sounds entirely right here for a scene um, that, I mean, it's at less than three minutes long. Believe me, this is an Iron Fist where they did 300 cuts in three minutes. So 30 cuts for this type of scene in this type of length, I actually was okay with. That's I did pretty, not find that it was cut heavy. That, that's, it sounds, it's pretty average. I mean, it, it really is, especially yeah. since... Especially since most of the cuts were to sort of, um, as you watch them, most of the cuts are, not most of them, but enough of them are to reestablish who's looking at uh, at Adrian or who's looking at Augie, or it's just enough to sort of like flip the scene, uh, you know, during the, during the actual fight. It's not, it's not like Iron Fist where like fucking blink and you literally miss something that happened or... Um, like the, uh, you know, the queen, like the, the queen biopic where like a casual conversation at lunch had like 70 cuts or something. <laughs> yeah, no, this one, um, I didn't feel that this was overcut at all. And, uh, one thing that I thought was really awesome was that they did use a, like camera motion in some of the hits and some of the punches. It wasn't just like throwing a punch to cut for the sake of stage combat. Mm -hmm. They actually did like a lot of camera movements inside that little bit at the end of the scene where like the fight actually starts to, to happen and everything, yeah. which, which I thought flowed really, really smoothly. And what you said there, I will completely back that up. A lot of these cuts and everything are just a completely established points of view. A lot of them I feel are designed to kind of frame Adrian in certain ways. Like when he is, um, when the camera is split, uh, sorry, when the camera has got him dead center, two over the shoulders, I think it kind of reinforces the threat that he may face and the um, kind of the awkwardness of the situation by kind of reminding the audience that there are more than one person around, that he's not just talking to Augie and everything and the way that they frame it, I think does look pretty cool. So um, I think in terms of like the mechanics of the way that the scene works, uh, it's it's basically spot on. Like I, I don't think that I would be able to do that any better. Right, right. Hell yeah, dude. So if Adrian is the protagonist of the scene, which I do consider him to be, how does he arc from the scene start to the scene's end? Well, I'll, I, I'm not going to disagree with you that he's the protagonist, but I'm finally going to be able to use this word again for the first time like in a year and a half. That in this scene, he's the deuteragonist with Augie yep, Smith. Yep, there it is. Um, <laughs> it, it, um, in case if anyone's wondering, a deuteragonist is sort of the... Secondary protagonist, um, their goals usually, at least in some way, shape, or form, coincide with the protagonist or another another character in a scene or or in a on a whole like story. It doesn't really matter. Um, mm -hmm. But basically, the the deuteragonist is a companion protagonist, and I feel like in this scene, this this scene advances both of their arcs in opposite directions, but in the same way. That mm -hmm. Adrian moves farther into the group with Adebayo, Harcourt, uh, Mern, and obviously Peacemaker Smith. I'm going to call him Smith because um, yeah. I don't want to say Peacemaker repeatedly like over and over again. Um, Understandable. Um, and it, so it moves him closer to the group um, that we're going to, you know, the, the ragtag team and Economos. I forgot about uh, Steve Agee there. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas this scene helps move Augie farther away from Chris and more towards his white dragon persona and the Aryan Brotherhood. So it's it is we're literally watching two forces in the same way but different ways go, you know, sort of separate from one another. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. That's that's exactly right. It pushes Augie closer to 
to him and uh, towards his little band of white supremacist dragon head wearing people, which um thought was kind of interesting, kind of funny. I, I liked, um, I liked, I actually really weird. liked the take on how a white supremacist superhero would look. It makes sense. Yeah, like the or supervillain, like, excuse I, me. Yeah, with the, the suit, like. I just wish it wasn't white, but at the same time, that's the whole point. But I hate when suits and everything. The only white stuff that I really like in terms of uniforms are the last Browns white jerseys that they made. So, mm-hmm. like, every time I look at something that's like a white suit, I'm just like, man, when that gets dirty, that is going to look dirty as fuck, dude. That's like the first thing that comes to my mind every time. But I did love the, the giant dragon head and everything, the supercharged suit. I loved that they had this like interdimensional storage facility inside the house. I thought that was kind of like a cool way to uh, show that these stupid pieces of trash human beings, white supremacists can still get their hands on this mm-hmm. kind of technology and everything like that. So it was a good, good little world kind of reinforcer and everything. And like, it um, definitely brings Adrian closer to the group. That is for fucking sure. Even though he, he lost, he still, got himself in closer with the group, which um, is one of his two, I guess, goals here. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it could be his primary or secondary goal, depending on your perception of the character. But he is closer to the team, and he has definitely pushed Augie farther away from the team's goal of, of killing him and everything, and thus ensuring Peacemaker's uh, safety and stuff. So the way that they did that, um, I think it just works really, really well in terms of driving the story forward. And so in, um, so, okay. So in this scene in particular, in terms of the episode, um, you, you definitely hit that there. You said that, uh, Augie, um, is now, you know, closer to his white supremacist. He's also closer to the, um, police and everything. This, uh, scene sets up him to get in contact with the detectives yep. to set up the wheels in motion to uh, get him out of jail, which uh, fuck, is it at the end of this episode? He gets out the next episode. Next episode. Because the episode yeah. ends with him trying on the armor and stuff. So mm-hmm. the seeds that grow in the next episode are planted in this one in terms of him getting out. So that's how I feel that this scene um that the the point of the scene in in terms of the episode I think is to um is to plant the seeds to get him out. I also think it's another way to showcase Adrian's personality and also the way to get him um a little get him in better with the the good guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Did you have anything to add for that question? Um, I, no. You you we hit it all. Um, and, and, you know maybe this is also sort sort of the. Um, uh, this scene also is like kind of our first taste of Adebayo also, um, you know, showing that she has the, the capabilities, uh, to be duplicitous, Mm -hmm. just like her mother. Yes. Um, and, and even more so that Adrian, I mean, obviously that Adrian's part of the team, but that Adrian is in it at all costs. Like Mm -hmm. he's not just trying to be a part of the team. Like he will die for Peacemaker. Yeah, exactly. Get that loyalty element, that best friend, that sidekick element is just reinforced so well through the actions of what he does in in the scene and everything. That is Mm -hmm. for sure. So um, in terms of like the later episodes, um, what do you, I know we kind of touched into some of this, but in terms of the later episodes, um, what are what is sorry what are the events in later episodes that are a result of this scene? Well, obviously the 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 sort of the final conflict with Augie and, and Chris. 
right? That's mm-hmm. like that's like our big one because like it's finally at the very end of the scene when uh, when Adrian says he's a bad dad. Um, it's yeah. sort of like to me that's like sort of the last straw. That not that not that Augie was like would ever welcome Chris back as his son, <laughs> but like it, it, he was kind of at the point like whatever I don't fucking care just leave me alone, just stay out of my life basically. Whereas yeah. once he realizes that Adrian, he probably thinks that Adrian was sent in to kill him, not that Adrian went in on his own to kill him. Well, mostly went in on his own to kill him. Um, that's sort of like to him, like one of the last, like it's the straw that broke the camel's back. That's going to set yeah. the final conflict in motion. Definitely, dude. Yes. This whole thing with Augie sets that final conflict in motion. And um, we get the final conflict between them in the penultimate episode or is it in the finale i believe it's the penultimate yeah it's the penultimate okay, I, because then uh spoiler alert um legitimately if you haven't watched peacemaker yet probably should stop listening to a lot of this but um <laughs> <laughs> um but uh that it's in the last episode where uh ghost augie or whatever he is starts showing up yes definitely okay that's cool and really quick dude uh jess and i are watching dope sick on hulu and like let me tell you in dope sick there's some people are on drugs and they hallucinate and everything like they some even hallucinate actual conversations and like for some reason i find it more believable that somebody like peacemaker would be haunted by a version of their father that they talk to than somebody hallucinating on drugs, talking to somebody that they think in the, is in the room with them. I don't, maybe it's just because I had experience on the, in the, the counterculture slash emerging culture. But, um, I just, for some reason, I find it way more believable that, um, that he, that he would be haunted by his father in this way than somebody just taking shrooms and having a conversation with Santa Claus. I possibly, but I also think that we're going to find out that there's more to it than grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's, oh, without it, it's something that he did to Chris. I think. Yes, I I think we're going to be going in that direction. Um, the one of the reasons that leads me to believe that is because we spent some time in the Chris's childhood flashbacks, but we didn't spend a lot of time. And I noticed that like the flashbacks in general got longer as they went on, as they started, it was just some kind of cuts and everything Mm -hmm. like that in between John Cena as an adult and this him as a child. But once we got farther along, we started to see whole and complete uh, scenes and sequences and everything. So I, I do think that um, they're going to spend more time developing Peacemaker because it wasn't like they, they didn't underdevelop him. I actually thought that they developed him pretty much just perfectly for what they were going for with this eight episode run and the large cast and everything. But as um, the show continues, I think we're going to get more development somewhere in there. We're going to have some, um, you know, some, some kind of event like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's, it, it's definitely, I mean, I, all I'm saying is I just, knowing knowing where this show could go, and we get this kind of, we get the kind of, um, you know, not only the, like, the tr- interdimensional uh, uh, storage space, but also, like, we hear multiple characters say repeatedly that Augie Smith was a genius. There's mm-hmm. more to why we see this apparition of Augie Smith than just peacemakers, you know, grieving and angry and everything else. Yeah, exactly, dude. Yeah, we like we didn't get a lot of time with Augie in general. So I think that 
maybe spending more time with him via the ghost will also help shape the character development that they're going to do with John Cena. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with that. Awesome. So like with, um, with the rest of the cast, um, like it's weird. Like I don't think that in terms of the rest of the cast that this scene does as much as it did for his relationship with, with, with Smith and with, um, with John Cena. Yeah. Um, I basically like if you, were to speak aside from the father and Augie element of this, really what happens is it's just like Adrian gets out of jail at the end and he's now more in with the group and everything. Like that's it kind of like, that's almost like just his job, like a battle do pig moment. And then we kind of get back into more of like what Adrian was designed for, which being the sidekick character and, and all that stuff, being yeah. like peacemakers partner. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because his stakes were less than or his, I guess, like his results were less than Augie's. It doesn't take anything away from the story, but it's just something that um, they did not need to have this scene be a big thing in terms of Adrian going forward. Correct. Correct. Hell yeah, dude. So what is your favorite shot of the scene? There's a... Um... It's right after he gives the line about the. Um, there's, it's, I don't know what it, I don't exactly know what it is. It's, it's just something. A look on his face after he gives the line about what uh, redneck music sounds like. <laughs> it's, just, it's like earnest and sincere, but also just kind of like a little like he knows that like he's just gonna press buttons. It, yeah. But it, it's but it's not like an overwhelming. You know, he's not like leering or grinning at them. There's just this look he has on his face. That he delivers this line with such sincerity, knowing that it's going to piss him all off. I, I don't. Yeah. It's just. It's just one of those things that you just have to like. And I think it's more. It's like. I think it's a combination line delivery and the look just are perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got that right, dude. The way the expressions in his face during that particular line. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's almost like he has this like aloof charm to him with a sinister undertone to it. You know, like it's all like happy and everything, but he knows what he's doing and stuff. And Mm -hmm. like, I, you know, you see, sometimes you see characters like this, maybe in like a gangster movie where they're trying to be like Tarantino to a certain degree, like, you know, the mobsters show up and there's this big long monologue before they do what they have to do. And some of that money is, some of that monologue is funny. And maybe there's even some kind of like antics or loud yelling and screaming of crazy stuff before the gangsters blow away, whoever they're going to do. But like, and sometimes that can seem forced, well as this just seemed completely natural and totally on point for him to have a little bit of theatricality to um, what he is doing in the jail. Yeah, I think, and I think it's because they establish in the first episode, in the, is it in the first episode? Where he's, as the busboy, that he's a fucking moron. But yes, like, that's right. But like, a, a fucking moron, but also like, just a bizarre pathological liar so like there is there is something i don't think they they don't really necessarily mention it but like there's clearly something wrong with adrian Mm -hmm. like something is wrong with him clearly but he's useful so they're gonna you know they're gonna keep him around but there's something clearly wrong with him and 
that sort of kind of gets like reinforced here that like only a fucking bizarro person would voluntarily do all this. <laughs> I know, dude. Like you aren't gonna you aren't gonna have me do any of that stuff. And the fact that there was like no questions asked, like that he was willing to do this, like it's almost like he wants to do anything, and this just happened to be the first opportunity. Like he'd probably do something even more extreme if there right. was ever a more extreme circumstance. <laughs> but that is all of that is completely reinforced with that with that kind of crazy little smile that he gives and everything like that, dude, that's a really, really great shot in, um, in this scene. And like mine is actually one of the action shots. And, um, the way it shows up, um, when he first starts to stand up, there is this shot that follows him tripping somebody. And, um, he like basically like kicks their leg out and he does it in this kind of like swoop kick type thing. Um, he's, he fights off cool Steve, but then also like swift kicks somebody else. And it's like just a really awesome and really fluid kind of fight motion because it's then with a payoff where he slams somebody's head into a table. So Mm -hmm. this, this little like kind of um, leg kick scene, I I just, I love that. It was the first little taste of action and everything like that. And um, it's kind of sandwiched in between some really cool, like, you know, start and close fight moves and it's just like wow this little ass nerdy dude is just kicking the shit out of these guys and i always you know rooting for the little guy in that situation um i enjoyed it oh for sure for sure i don't is he that little he's like normal sized yeah like i'm six four so like normal size is like little to me i guess everything is smaller to me yeah unless you're like somebody who's bigger than me but there are like even standing him and i standing next to each other I'm going to look like the weirdo because I'm 6'4". He's a normal. Good point. Very good point. Yeah. Like anytime Jess and I go out, it's she looks normal. I'm the one that looks fucking weird. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. So, yeah. So that is all the questions that I have for um, episode two of In the March of the Minisodes. Do you want to lead us out of here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning back in. Um, this has been fun so far. Really hard to get, you know, t- for me and Chema to clear our schedules to record in all these separate days. Uh, but we're, we're doing it for you guys out there. Um, you can find us anywhere you can find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play. Um, I was, you know what, I was going to try to make one, make one up on the spot there, but I, I can't. Um, Jams. Not, yeah, there Jams. you go. <laughs> I'm not quick enough. Um, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. So, um, For Adam Chabalewski, this is Matt Pagel saying thanks, and we will see you next time.